0: Book six, chapter five of the History of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a Librivox recording, all Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania 2020. The History of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book six, chapter five, telling how Dicky came to untie a certain tag of rusty black ribbon. Yet as those grey midwinter weeks went on to Christmas and the coming of the new year, it became undeniable there was that in the aspect of affairs at Brockhurst which might very well provoke curious comment. For the rigour of Richard Carmody's self-imposed seclusion to which Miss St. Quentin had made allusion in her conversation with Dr. Nott was not relaxed, rather indeed did it threaten to pass from the accident of a first return after long absence and illness into a matter of fixed and accepted habit, for those years of lonely wandering and spasmodic rage of living, finding their climax in deepening disappointment, disillusion, and the shock of rudely inflicted insult and disgrace, had produced in Richard a profound sense of alienation from society and from the amenities of ordinary intercourse. Since he was apparently doomed to survive, he would go home but go home very much as some trapped or wounded beast crawls back to hide in its lair. He was master in his own house, at least, and safe from intrusion there. The place offered the silent sympathy of things familiar, and therefore, in a sense, uncritical. It is restful to look on that upon which one has already looked a thousand times. And so, after his reconciliation with his mother, followed in natural sequence his reconciliation with Brockhurst, here he would see only those who loved him well enough in their several stations and degrees to respect his humour to ask no questions to leave him to himself richard was gentle in manner at this period courteous humorous even but a great discouragement was upon him it seemed as though some string had snapped leaving half his nature broken unresponsive and dumb he had no ambitions no desires of activities sport and business were as little to his mind as society more than this at first the excuse of fatigue had served him but very soon it came to be a tacitly admitted fact that richard did not leave the house surely it was large enough he said to afford space for all the exercise he needed refusing to occupy his old suite of rooms on the ground floor He had sent orders before his arrival that the smaller library, adjoining the long gallery, should be converted into a bed-chamber for him. It had been Richard's practice, when on board ship, to steady his uncertain footsteps on the slippery or slanting plane of the deck by the use of crutches, and this practice he in great measure retained. It increased his poor powers of locomotion, it rendered him more independent.' sometimes when secure that lady Carmody would not receive visitors he would make his way by the large library the state drawing-room and stair-head to the chapel-room and sit with her there but more often his days were spent exclusively in the long gallery he had brought home many curious and beautiful objects from his wanderings he would add these to the existing collection he would examine the books too procure such volumes as were needed to complete any imperfect series and in the departments both of science literature and travel bring the library up to date he would devote his leisure to the study of various subjects especially natural science regarding which he was conscious of a knowledge deficient or merely empirical i really am perfectly contented mother he said to lady Carmody more than once look at the length and breadth of the gallery it is as a city of magnificent distances after the deck of the dear old yacht and my twelve-foot cabin and i am not a man calculated to occupy so very much space after all let me potter about here with my books and my bibelot don't worry about me i shall keep quite well i promise you let me hibernate peacefully until spring anyhow i have plenty of occupation julius is going to amend the library catalogue with me and there are those chests of deeds and order-books and diaries which really ought to be looked over as it appears pretty certain i shall be the last of the race it would be only civil i think to bestow a little of my ample leisure upon my forefathers and set down some more or less comprehensive account of them and their doings they appear to have been given to rather dramatic adventures don't you worry you dear sweet as i say let me hibernate until the birds of passage come and the young leaves are green in the spring then when the days grow long and bright the sea will begin to call again and when it calls you and i will pack and go and catherine yielded being convinced that richard could treat his own case best if healing complete and radical was to be effected it must come from within and not from without her wisdom was to wait in faith there was much that had never been told and never would be told much which had not been explained and never would be explained for notwithstanding the very gracious relation existing between herself and richard catherine realised that there were blank spaces not only in her knowledge of his past action but in her knowledge of the sentiments which now animated him as from a far country his mind she perceived often travelled to meet hers there was a door to which she found no key but catherine happily could respect the individuality even of her best beloved unlike the majority of her sex she was incapable of intrusion and did not make affection an excuse for familiarity love in her opinion enjoins obligation of service rather than confers rights of examination and direction she had learned the condition in which his servants had found richard in the opera-box of the great theatre at naples lying upon the floor unconscious his face disfigured cut and bleeding But what had produced this condition, whether accident or act of violence, she had not learned. She had also learned that her niece, Helen de Valorbe, had stayed at the villa just before the commencement of Richard's illness, he merely passing his days there and spending his nights on board the yacht in the harbour, where, no doubt, that same illness had been contracted. But she resisted the inclination to attempt further discovery she even resisted the inclination to speculate regarding all this what richard might elect to tell her that and that only would she know lest seeking further bitter and vindictive thoughts should arise in her and mar the calm pathetic sweetness of the present and her deep abiding joy in the recovery of her so long-lost delight she refused to go behind the fact the glad fact that richard once more was with her that her eyes beheld him her ears heard his voice her hands met his every little act of thoughtful care every pretty word of half-playful affection confirmed her thankfulness and made the present blessed even this somewhat morbid tendency of his to shut himself away from the observation of all acquaintance conferred on her such sweetly exclusive rights of intercourse that she could not greatly quarrel with his secluded way of life as to the business of the estate and household this had become so much a matter of course to her that it caused her but small labour if she could deal with it when richard was estranged and far away very surely she could deal with it now when she had but to open the door of that vast silvery-tinted pensively fragrant many-windowed room and entering among its many strange and costly treasures find him a treasure as strange and if counted by her past suffering as costly as ever ravished and tortured a woman's heart and so it came about that to such few friends as she received catherine could show a serene countenance shortly before christmas miss st quentin came to brockhurst and coming stayed adapting herself with ready tact to the altered conditions of life there catherine found not only pleasure but support in the younger woman's presence in her devoted yet unexacting affection in her practical ability and in the sight of so graceful a creature going to and fro she installed her guest in the gun-room suite and by insensible degrees permitted honoria to return to many of her former avocations in connection with the estate so that the young lady took over much of the outdoor business riding forth almost daily by herself or in company with julius march to superintend matters of building or repairing of road-mending hedging copsing, or forestry and not infrequently cheering chifney a somewhat sour-minded man just now and prickly-tempered since richard asked no word of him nor of his horses by visits to the racing stables i had better step down and have a crack with the poor old dear cousin catherine she would say or those unlucky little wretches of boys will catch it double tides which really is rather superfluous and all the while amid her very varied interests and occupations remembrance of that hidden twilight life going forward upstairs in the well-known rooms which she now never entered came to honoria as some perpetually recurrent and mournful harmony in an otherwise not ungladsome piece of music might have come it exercised a certain dominion over her mind so that richard calmady though never actually seen by her was never wholly absent from her thought all the orderly routine of the great house all the day's work and the sentiment of it was subtly influenced by awareness of the actuality of his invisible presence and this affected her strongly causing her hours of repulsion and annoyance and again hours of abounding if reluctant pity when the unnatural situation of this man young as herself endowed with a fine intelligence and aptitude for affairs the craving for amusement common to his age and class and the pathos inherent in that situation, haunted her imagination. His self-inflicted imprisonment appeared a reflection upon, in a sense a reproach, to her own freedom of soul and pleasant liberty of movement, and this troubled her. It touched her pride, somehow. It produced in her a false conscience, as though she were guilty of an unkindness, a lack of considerateness and perfect delicacy. Whether he behaves well or ill, whether he is good or bad, Richard Carmody invariably takes up altogether too much room, she would tell herself half angrily, to find herself within half an hour, under plea of usefulness to his mother, warmly interested in some practical matter from which Richard Carmody would derive, at least indirectly, distinct advantage and benefit.' this then was the state of affairs one saturday afternoon at the beginning of february with poor dicky himself the day had been marked by abundant discouragement he was well in body the restfulness of one quiet uneventful week following another had steadied his nerves repaired the waste of fever and restored his physical strength but along with this return of health had come a growing necessity to lay hold of some idea to discover some basis of thought some incentive to action which should make life less purposeless and unprofitable richard in short was beginning to generate more energy than he could place the old order had passed away and no new order had as yet effectively disclosed itself he had not formulated all this or even consciously recognised the modification of his own attitude nevertheless he felt the gnawing ache of inward emptiness it effectually broke up the torpor which had held him it made him very restless it reawoke in him an inclination to speculation and experiment snow had fallen during the earlier hours of the day and the surface of the ground being frost-bound it though by no means deep remained unmelted the whiteness of it given back by the ceiling and pale panelling of walls of the long gallery notwithstanding the generous fires burning in the two ornate high-ranging chimney-places produced as the day waned an effect of rather stark cheerlessness in the great room this was at once in unison with richard's somewhat bleak humour and calculated to increase the famine of it all day long he had tried to stifle the cry of that same famine that same hunger of unplaced energy by industrious work he had examined noted here and there transcribed passages from deeds letters order-books and diaries offering first-hand information regarding former generations of Carmides. it happened that studies he had recently made in contemporary science especially in obtaining theories of biology had brought home to him what tremendous factors in the development and fate of the individual are both evolution and heredity at first idly and as a mere pastime and then with increasing eagerness in the vague hope his researches might throw light on matter of moment to himself and of personal application he had tried to trace out tastes and strains of tendency common to his ancestors but under this head he had failed to make any very notable discoveries for these courtiers soldiers and sportsmen were united merely by the obvious characteristics of a high-spirited free-living race they were raised above the average of the country gentry perhaps by a greater appreciation than is altogether common of literature and art but as richard soon perceived it was less any persistent peculiarity of mental and physical constitution than a similarity of outward event united them the perpetually repeated chronicle of violence and accidents which he read in connection with his people intrigued his reason and called for explanation was it possible he began to ask himself that a certain heredity in incident in external happening may not cling to a race that these may not by some strange process be transmissible as are traits of character temperament and stature colouring feature and face and if this as matter of speculation merely was the case must there not exist some antecedent cause to which could be referred such persistent effect might not an hereditary fate in external events take its rise in some supreme moral or spiritual catastrophe some violation of law the greek dramatists held it was so the writers of the old testament held it was so too sitting at the low writing table near the blazing fire that stark whiteness reflected from off the snow-covered land all around him richard debated this point with himself he admitted the theory was not scientific according to the reasoning of modern physical science it approached an outlook theological rather than rationalistic yet he could not deny the conception admission the vision of a doomed family arose before him starting in each successive generation with brilliant prospects and high hope only to find speedy extinction in some more or less brutal form of death a race dwindling moreover in numbers as the years passed until it found representation in a single individual and that individual maimed and incomplete heredity of accident heredity of disaster finding final expression in himself this confronted richard he had reckoned himself heretofore a solitary example of ill fortune but mastering the contents of these records he found himself far from solitary. He merely participated, though under a novel form, in the unlucky fate of all the men of his race. And then arose the question, to him under existing circumstances of vital importance, what stood behind all that? Blind chance? Cynical indifference? Wanton and arbitrary cruelty? or some august far-reaching necessity of as yet unsatisfied justice richard pushed the crackling stiffly folded parchments the letters frayed and yellow with age the broken-backed discoloured diaries and order-books away from him and sat his elbows on the table his chin in his hands thinking and the travail of his spirit was great as it needs must be at times with every human being who dares live at first not merely at second hand who dares attempt a real and not merely a nominal assent who dares deal with earthly existence the amazing problems and complexities of it immediately refusing to accept with indolent timidity tradition custom hearsay and convenience as his guides oh for some sure answering some unimpeachable assurance some revelation not relative and symbolic but absolute some declaration above all suspicion of cunningly devised opportunism concerning the dealings of the unknown force man calls god with the animal man calls man and then richard turned upon himself contemptuously for it was childish to cry out thus the heavens were dumb above him as the snow-bound earth was dumb beneath there was no sign never had been never would be save in the fond imaginations of religious enthusiasts crazed by superstition by austerities and hysteria duped by ignorance by hypocrites and quacks with long-armed adroitness he reached down and picked up those light-made stunted crutches slipped from his chair and adjusted them for a long while he had used them as a matter of course without criticism or thought but now they produced in him a swift disgust his hands grasping the lowest crossbar of them were in such disproportionate proximity to the floor for the moment he was disposed to fling them aside then again he turned upon himself with scathing contempt for this too was childish what did the use of them matter since used or not the fact of his crippled condition remained and so with a renewal of bitterness and active rebellion lately unknown to him he moved away down the great room past bronze athlete and marble goddess past oriental jars tall as himself uplifted on the squat carven ebony stands past strangely painted half fearful lacquer cabinets past porcelain bowls filled with the faint sweetness of dried rose-leaves bay lavender and spice past trophies of savage warfare and hardly less savage civilised sport he moved towards the wide mullion window of the eastern bay but just before reaching it he came opposite to a picture by velasquez set on an easel across the corner of the room it represented a hideous and misshapen dwarf holding a couple of graceful greyhounds in a leash an unhappy creature who had made sport for the household of some castilian grandee and whose gorgeous garments of scarlet and gold were ingeniously designed so as to emphasise the physical degradation of its contorted person richard had come of late to take a sombre pleasure in the contemplation of this picture the desolate eyes looking out of the marred and brutal face met his own with a certain claim of kinship there existed a tragic freemasonry between himself and this outcast being begotten of a common knowledge a common experience as a boy richard hated this picture studiously avoided the sight of it it had suggested comparisons which wounded his self-respect too shrewdly and endangered his self-security he hated it no longer finding grim solace indeed in its sad society And it was thus, in silent parley, with this rather dreadful companion, as the blear February twilight descended upon the bare black trees and snow-clad land without, and upon the very miscellaneous furnishings of the many-windowed gallery within, that Julius March now discovered Richard Carmody. He had returned across the park, from one of the quaint brick-and-timber cottages just without the last park-gate, at the end of Sandyfield Church Lane. A labourer's wife was dying painfully enough of cancer, and he had administered the blessed sacrament to her there in her humble bedchamber. The august promises and adorable consolations of that mysterious rite remained very sensibly present to him on his homeward way. His spirit was uplifted by the confirmation of the divine compassion therein perpetually renewed, perpetually made evident, and it followed that coming now upon Richard Carmody, alone, here in the stark, unnatural pallor of the winter dusk, holding silent communion with that long-ago victim of merciless practices and depraved tastes, not only caused him a painful shock, but also moved him with fervid desire to offer comfort and render help. Yet what to say? How to approach Richard, without risk of seeming officiousness and consequent offence, he could not tell. The young man's experiences and his own were so conspicuously far apart. For a moment he stood uncertain and silent, and then he said, "'That picture always fills me with self-reproach.' Richard looked round with a certain lofty courtesy by no means encouraging, and as he did so, Julius March was conscious of receiving a further and not less painful impression, for Richard's face was very still, not with the stillness of repose, but with that of fierce emotion held resolutely in check, while in his eyes was a desolation rivalling that of the eyes portrayed by the great Spanish artist upon the canvas close at hand. When I first came to Brockhurst that picture used to hang in the study he continued by way of explanation oh, i see and you turned it out richard observed not without an inflection of irony oh, yes in those days i am afraid i did not discriminate very justly between refinement of taste and self-indulgent fastidiousness while pluming myself upon an exalted standard of sensibility and sentiment i rather basely spared myself acquaintance with that both in nature and art which might cause me distress or disturbance of thought i was a mental valetudinarian in short i am ashamed of my defect of moral courage and charity in relation to that picture richard shifted his position slightly looked fixedly at the canvas, and then down at his own hands in such disproportionate proximity to the floor. "'Oh, you were not to blame,' he said. "'It's obviously a thing to laugh at or run from, unless you happen to have received a peculiar mental and physical training. Anyhow, the poor devil has found his way home now, and come into port safely enough at last.' He glanced back at the picture over his shoulder as he moved across the room perhaps he has even found a trifle of genuine sympathy so don't vex your righteous soul over your repudiation of him my dear julius the lapses of the virtuous may make indirectly for good and your instinct after all was both the healthy and the artistic one Velathqueth ought to have been incapable of putting his talent to such vile uses and the first comer with the spark of true philanthropy in him ought to have knocked that poor little monstrosity on the head. Richard came to the writing table, glanced at the papers which encumbered it, made for an armchair drawn up beside the fire. Sit down, Julius, he said. There's something quite else about which I want to speak to you. "'I have been working through all these documents, and they give rise to speculations neither strictly scientific nor strictly orthodox, yet interesting all the same. You are a dealer in ethical problems. I wonder if you can offer any solution of this one, of which the basis conceivably is ethical. As to these various owners of Brockhurst,' sir denzil the builder of the house is a delightful person and appears to have prospered mightily in his undertakings as so liberal-minded and ingenious a gentleman had every right to prosper but after him from the time at least of his grandson thomas everything seems to have gone to rather howling grief here we have nothing but battle murder and sudden death these become positively monotonous in the pertinacity of their repetition of course one may argue that adventurous persons expose themselves to an uncommon number of dangers and consequently pay an uncommon number of forfeits i dare say that is the reasonable explanation only the persistence of the thing gets hold of one rather the manner of their dying is very varied yet there are two constant quantities in each successive narrative namely violence and comparative youth." Richard's speech had become rapid and imperative. Now he paused. "'Think of my father's death, for instance,' he said." His narrow, black figure crouched together, Julius March knelt on one knee before the fire. He held his thin hands outspread so as to keep the glow of the burning logs from his face. He was deeply moved, debating a certain matter with himself to all questions supremely worth having answered there is no answer i take that for granted the young man continued and yet one is so made that it is impossible not to go on asking i can't help wanting to get at the root of this queer recurrence of accident and all the rest of it which clings to my people I can't help wanting to make out whether there was any psychological moment which determined the future, and started them definitely on the downgrade. What happened? That's what I want to arrive at. What happened at that moment? Had it any reasonable and legitimate connection with all which has followed? As he held them outspread between his face and the glowing fire, Julius March's hands trembled he found himself confronted by a situation which he had long foreseen, long and earnestly prayed to avoid. The responsibility was so great of either giving or withholding the answer, as he knew it, to that question of Dicky's. A way of rendering possible help opened before him, but it was a way beset with difficulties, a way at once fantastic and coarsely realistic a way along which the sublime and the ridiculous jostled each other with somewhat undignified closeness of association, a way demanding childlike faith, not to say childish credulity, coupled with a great fearlessness and self-abnegation, before ever a man's steps could be profitably set in it. If presented to Richard, would he not turn angrily from it, as an insult offered to his intellect and his breeding alike? indeed the hope of effecting good showed very thin the danger of provoking evil bulked very big what was his duty he suffered an agony of indecision and again with a slight inflection of mockery in his tone richard spoke all blind chance julius i declare i get a little weary of this deity of yours he neglects his business so flagrantly he really is rather scandalously much of an absentee and he would be so welcome if he would condescend to deal a trifle more openly with one and satisfy one's intelligence and moral sense if for instance he would afford me some information regarding this same psychological moment which i need so badly just now as a peg to hang a theory of casualty upon i am ambitious as much in the interests of his reputation as in those of my own curiosity to get at the logic of the affair to get at the why and wherefore of it and lay my finger on the spot where differentiation sets in julius march stood upright Richard's scorn hurt him it also terminated his indecision for a little space he looked out into the stark whiteness of the snowy dusk and then down at the young man, leaning back in the low chair, there, close before him. To Julius's short-sighted eyes, in the uncertain light, Dickie's face bore compelling resemblance to Lady Carmody's. This touched him with the memory of much, and he went back on the thought of the divine compassion perpetually renewed, perpetually made evident in the Eucharistic sacrifice man may rail yet god is strong and faithful to bless perhaps that way was neither too fantastic nor too humble after all for richard to walk in has no knowledge of the received legend about this subject ever reached you no never not a word i became acquainted with it accidentally long ago before your birth It is inadmissible, according to modern canons of thought, as such legends usually are, and events subsequent to my acquaintance with it conferred on it so singular and painful a significance that I kept my knowledge to myself. Perhaps when you grew up I ought to have put you in possession of the facts. They touch you very nearly. Richard raised his eyebrows. Indeed, he said coldly. But a fitting opportunity, at least so I judged, being I own backward and reluctant in the matter, never presented itself. In this, as in much else, I fear I have betrayed my trust, and proved an unprofitable servant. If so, may God forgive me. It would have gone hard with Brockhurst without you, Julius, Richard said, a sudden softening in his tone. I will bring you the documents the last thing to night when when your mother has left you. They are best read, perhaps, in silence and alone five of chapter six